We see in the first reading that God promises, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, if only they will recognize the one true God. Yet we then have this scene of the Canaanite woman approaching and calling out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. Well, it sounds like she got the message. A lot better than many of Jesus' fellow Jews did. But what does Jesus do? Well, first, he ignores her. He doesn't say a word. But she keeps calling out after him enough that the disciples start to get annoyed. So he then rejects her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sorry, this is a members-only club. But still the woman would not be dissuaded. Lord, help me. So how does Jesus respond? Well, this time he insults her. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Now that's a profound insult. You still hear that used as an insult in the Middle East, calling someone a dog. But even worse, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus had said, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine. So Jesus is, in effect, equating dogs with pigs, which was an even greater insult to be called a pig. Because dogs and pigs were both unclean for kosher purposes, but at least dogs could be kept as pets. One was not even supposed to be near swine. It's very tempting to doubt Jesus here. He seems to be acting with a kind of mean-spiritedness that we don't normally associate with our loving Savior. But in order to understand it, we have to understand two important points. First, about salvation history, and second, about the spiritual life. First, in the order of salvation history, God chose the people of Israel to be the first to hear his message. They were the first heirs of the covenant. As St. Paul would write, they are Israelites. There's the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. There's the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, is the Christ. But although the glory of the covenant was theirs, it was also their burden. Because they experienced slavery in Egypt, the wandering in the desert, and the captivity in Babylon. And Israel struggled to remain faithful to the Lord despite his many wonders to them. For the same reasons that we do, the attraction of sin and the ease of taking his mercy for granted. And the reality of Israel's election over the other nations meant that these other nations would grow and develop by and large without contact with the true faith. But in their development, while there was much error and much evil, there was also a corresponding hunger for the truth that was developing, because they perceived that something was lacking in their imperfect rites and rituals. And this opened their hearts in love and humility. It is why, centuries later, as the church spread throughout the world, it sometimes only took a little prompting for many peoples to embrace the Christian faith because it answered the eternal longing of their hearts. 
This is why the Second Vatican Council would later say in the dogmatic constitution, Lumen Gentium, the light of the peoples, nor is God far distant from those who in shadows and images seek an unknown God. This seeking in the shadows finds its fulfillment in Christ, who is the light of the world. So this period of seeming separation from the immediate experience of God was also, for these nations, a period of preparation. And all of this worked according to God's plan. For St. Paul tells us that the Gentiles have received Christ now, precisely because, by and large, the Jews had rejected him. Just as it was believed that the Jews first received the covenant from God because the other nations were not ready for it. But now, in receiving Christ, the Gentiles will be a light to Israel, the original heirs, showing them the glory of the faith that they have missed, just as Israel, through Christ, had been a light to them. It's why St. Paul writes, For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you once disobeyed God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now disobeyed in order that, by virtue of the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God delivered all to disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. The presence or absence of the Old Covenant prepared both the Jews and the Gentiles for the coming of Christ, each in their respective ways. The second thing we have to look at is the spiritual life, which applies to us as Christians now, regardless of whether we originally received salvation in Christ as a Jew or as a Gentile. The experience of the Canaanite woman demonstrates for us spiritual dryness, what St. John of the Cross, the great mystic, called the dark night of the soul. It's an experience of dryness and the felt absence of God. It tests the strength and persistence of our faith. Can we pray and can we keep the commandments even when we don't feel the love of God in our lives? The experience of so many saints attests that God uses this spiritual darkness or this dark night as a way of drawing us closer to him. Like the experience of the Israelites wandering in the desert or suffering the captivity in Babylon, we experience God withdrawing from us so that we can pursue him all the more fervently. Even when we don't feel like he is there, God chastises us in order that we might love him. In this sense, the dark night of the soul encapsulates the experience of both the Gentiles, who did not have access to God, and the Israelites, who didn't understand the hidden mystery of God's grace at work in their history. But we see that even in the story of this woman, as Jesus first ignores, then rejects, and then seems to insult her, the fact is, is that Jesus is traveling in her region, the Canaanite region. This was the place where the Canaanites, as opposed to the Israelites, lived. And in the passage just after this, Jesus then miraculously feeds a crowd of 4,000 by multiplying loaves. Again, this would have been a predominantly Gentile crowd. So Jesus is hardly trying to avoid the Gentiles, despite what he says about the primacy of his mission to Israel. But he is giving this woman, as God did to the Israelites in the desert, 
and a taste of what it means to cling to him by faith and not by sight. Just as God wants us to learn to persevere in the faith, even when we don't have consolation in our spiritual lives, Jesus is testing this woman's faith. Her willingness to suffer dryness, even a sense of rejection and shame for the sake of him. And we see in this woman her willingness to use anything that the Lord gives to her. He says to her, it is not right to take the food of children and throw it to the dogs. Well, she says, fine, I'm not going to argue with your analogy. And she has one of the snappiest comebacks in the Bible. Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. This was the greatness of her faith. God gave her lemons, and she made lemon custard. Perhaps one of the most profound experiences of the dark night of the soul occurred to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She reported that this was her experience of prayer for most of her life. But we see in the life of Mother Teresa the fruit of that perseverance and trust in the Lord nonetheless. She wrote in her spiritual diary, I have begun to love my darkness, for I believe now that it is a part, a very, very small part, of Jesus' darkness and pain on the earth, on the cross. And the voice of Jesus echoes, O woman, great is your faith.